J-Root Radio allowing us to do this, we have to certainly give them a karatatov and uh, support the radio station, send in your donations, your dedications, text them. We need uh, money in order to keep us on the station, of course, and you're all benefiting from it with the Divrei Torah and the beautiful music, the Jewish music that's being resonated all throughout the Jewish world. And this Torah and this music is needed for our neshamot, for the neshamot of our children to hear it rather than what's going on otherwise. So we are in the parashiot, the delicious parashiot of Yosef HaTzadik. And Rabbi Miller would tell us that there's as much space allotted to these parashiot of Yosef HaTzadik, almost as much as the building of the Mishkan. He compares it to the building of Mishkan, Yosef HaTzadik. And of course, the great Yesod in learning Torah is to see how much space Hashem is giving the these uh, episodes in this Torah because that's what he's thinking about. And the more space he gives it, the more he's thinking about it, and the more it behooves us to think about it as well. But before we get into the uh, in, into the uh, uh, episode of Yosef HaTzadik, which is drawing to a crescendo, actually, in this week's parasha, we have Inyana de Yoma, which is this uh, Tuesday, we have Asara Betevet. We have a fest of Asara Betevet, commemorating the siege of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, around Yerushalayim, as the precursor for the destruction of Bet HaMittash. And we fast because of that, because the destruction of the Beit Hamidrash was uh, was disbursement of the Jewish nation, and also the um, the uh, disbursement of Shekhinah directly that we were able to manif- we were able to uh, visit it and manifest it almost physically, more or less. But with that destruction, we lost that, and uh, we're still continuing to uh, yearn for it after. 2,000 years. Of course, the Beit HaMesh was built again after 70 years. The second one was built, but it was not anywhere near the uh, Kedushah of the first one as it lost many of the uh, accoutrements that the first one had, such as the uh, the uh, Ananeh Kavod were over, went over the first one, not over the second one, and many other things, many other miracles that were happening in the first one did not happen in the second one because it wasn't that as much Kedushah. But don't get me wrong, the second one was certainly very, very great. Now, now we are fasting. It's just not, the fasting isn't is certainly commemorating this terrible tragedy, but fasting is a matter of making teshubah. The Rambam tells you that if you're just fasting without making teshubah, it's a waste of a fast. So the idea is to be thinking. When you're fasting, you should be thinking of all the good, all the things we lost, and all the things we have right now, all the things we've had. We received so much and we lost, but we have to also be thanking Hashem for what we've had, and all the things we do have. We still have Am Yisrael today. Even after the Bukhan Netzar, who ruled the whole world, he destroyed the Beit Midash and he took the Jewish people in Galut to Babel. I mean, the fact that we, we still survived it is a miracle upon miracles. Survived that Galut, we survived the Galut of uh, Yavan, all the other Galuts that we've survived, this disbursements. No other nation in the whole universe survived those types of Sanhiriv. Sanhiriv destroyed the uh, the Jewish the Jewish people and... Uh, uh, they he took them from their lands and and displaced them to other lands. That was his uh, his his, uh, his stratagem: how to d- destroy nations by displacing them and having them amalgamated and assimilated into different cultures and lands. And within a generation or two, they were uh, they were they were lost amongst the uh, goyim of that land. So we are thinking about that galut, which is uh, the galut of Asera Betevet. And um, and we're thinking about the galut that we have today. We have to uh, realize that we're in galut today, galut Edom. That's that's coming up 
this week, Asara B'Tevet, we should think about it, maybe open up a sefer, learn a little bit about it, and uh, think about and uh, cry a little bit about the uh, the plight that uh, the Jews were in then, and the Jews are in even today, in the Galut that they're in, that we're in. Now, we also have today. Today is the, is the, the eighth of, of Tevet. Today is the um, eighth of Tevet, which is a, also a day that's commemorated in the Gemara. Shmona Tevet. And in the Gemara, it tells us, the Gemara Masechet Megillah tells us about the eighth of Tevet, that it was also a dark day. And that dark day was when Talmai, the king uh, of the Greeks, in the Egyptian Greeks, actually, as we learned about them uh, recently in the holiday of Hanukkah, whereas the, um, the empire of uh, Alexander the Great was split up into the Greek Greeks, the Syrian Greeks, and the, um, and the um, Seleucid Greeks. They had three, three sections of the empire was split up three ways. So Talmai was the Greek Greeks, and he was an intellectual of sorts, and he had a great library in Alexandria. Big, big, fat library. He liked to study. He was very, like, very studious uh, king. And he he wanted to uh, have the Al Torah translated into Greek. That's what he wanted. He met, he he actually forced the Jewish the Jewish rabbis to translate it into Greek, and they didn't want to do it. But what can they do? They were at gunpoint. And he put each one in a separate room. Each rabbi, 70 rabbis, Septuagint it's called, Tirgum Shiv'im, put each one in a separate room so each one wouldn't know what the other one was doing. And he gave them time to translate the whole Torah, Torah meaning the whole Hamishah Hamishah Torah, into Greek, the old Greek. Not today's Greek, it's an old, old Greek. The Greek of, uh, of Yefet. Old Greek, which had a that, that Greek, by the way, had a certain had a certain holiness to it, a certain kedusha. In fact, the, the Gemara tells us if you have a, a sefer Torah written in that Old Greek, again, not today's Greek, it's a different language, a different uh, different characters, different language. That Old Greek, if you had a sefer Torah written in Old Greek, and Hasvashlom, if, if it fell on the floor, you'd have to fast. It had a certain kedusha to that Old Greek, just like the old. Yevanim, not the Yevanim, but the, the Zera of Yefet did have a Kedushah, and that Kedushah would have come out if they if they dwelt in the, in the tents of Shem, they could have been extremely great. Now, now the, the, the rabbis, this was the first time that the Torah in over, a, in over a thousand years after Matan Torah, this happened about a thousand years after Matan Torah, and the Torah was never translated into anything. It was an exclusive club is exclusively the Jewish people's Torah. And and the Gemara tells us that when this was translated, a tra- darkness was unleashed into the world. For three days. For three days. A darkness. Choshech. Maybe like the Choshech al Tehom or like the Choshech of Makat Choshech. But they're talking about a real darkness. Maybe it was, I don't know, I'm not sure if it was a physical darkness or a spiritual darkness. I don't know, I'm not sure. But they did say Choshech. And it was unleashed, unleashed for three days. So the question is, why was there a darkness? Um... Should have been, uh, you know, should have been an, an enlightenment. Why would you think it's a darkness? Because the goyim were able to take out Torah and and uh, twist it. Torah shebichtav, the written Torah, which is what they got, without the Torah shebaal without the oral Torah, is meaningless. It's meaningless. 
So, so, so they were able to, to take it. So, if you have the totafot benenecha, you have, for example, the tefillin, said you should have it between your eyes. Now, without understanding from the oral Torah that it means, it means on top of your head in a certain position, then they have people wearing it like the eyeglasses right between their eyes. And it says in the Torah, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We didn't take out any eyes. We're not barbarians. We didn't take out any eyes. We're not like the uh, Aravim of today. Take out a guy's eyes or chop off his hand for stealing. We didn't do those things. But if you read the Torah literally, it sounds it sounds like uh, that was the law. Of course, without so that, that, that would cause people. And uh, they, the, the, the old Greeks, were, uh, they were they were ruling the world. And they were uh, disseminating that uh, Torah. They were making it available to the whole known world. And that Torah was able to be uh, misunderstood and ununderstood and, uh, and, and corrupted. So that's why the rabbis are saying in the, in, the, in the Gemara that a darkness was unleashed into the world. Now you have to know our rabbis were very, very wise, very smart, that Ruach HaKodesh. And those rabbis that translated the Torah, they took, I believe it's uh, at least 13 places, or maybe up to 20 places if I'm not mistaken, and they, in the Torah, and they, they changed the, uh, the language. For example, a famous one is when it says, Bereshit bara Elohim in the beginning God created Bereshit, they changed that. They changed that to Elohim bara Bereshit to, to read, God created in the beginning. Instead of in the beginning, God created, because they felt that, that these people could twist it and say, Bereshit, there was a guy called Bereshit, there was a power called Bereshit, and he created Elohim. In the, instead of in the beginning, they say Bereshit was a, was a, fa- a force. Bara Elohim, he created Elohim. So they changed it around to say, Elohim, God, Elohim, he created in the beginning. Another another famous verse they changed was, Naase Adam Ketzalmenu Betzalmenu Kidmotenu. It says literally, let us make men in our image, in our image. So you could say, Literally, let us make. What do you mean us? There's more than one God in the world. Must be let us. Should say let me. Why let us? So they changed it. They changed it around to say naz ese. I will make. Let I will make. God will make. And there was many other places like that that these holy rabbis changed around because they knew that the goyim would uh, twist it around and corrupt it. That's why you know. By the way, it's asur to teach a goy Torah. Maybe most a lot of people don't know that, but it's asur to teach a goy Torah. If he wants to convert, maybe you can teach him Torah, but maybe there's certain ethics of the Torah you could teach him, but Gemara, we, can, we don't teach Goim Gemara, being the Torah Shavapir, we don't teach that. Um, now, over here, uh, we are also seeing, that's on the Chet of Tevet. Now, on the 9th of Tevet, which is uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, we are also understanding that it also was a, was a day that uh, we have to commemorate because it was the death of Ezra HaSofer. And Ezra HaSofer was so great that the Torah tells us that the, 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 the Torah could have been given by him. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu, he could have been he could have brought down the Torah. It could have been given through Ezra HaSofer. That's what a holy man he was. Now all of our prayers, all of the uh, girsah, all of the way our prayers are arranged, was arranged by Ezra HaSofer. Ezra Sofer also made many takanot, many decrees, which were which were upkept by the Klai Yisrael because of his stature, his greatness. And this is what we're thinking about now, today, tomorrow, and Tuesday. So we have today, we're thinking about the uh, Chet Betevat, the 8th, the 9th, and 
the 10th of Tevet. Okay, so now let's get some insights from our parashiot of Yosef HaTzadik, and there's no end to Yosef HaTzadik. And in our parashah, and we have to know at this point, Yosef has put the brothers against the wall. He's manipulating his brothers into thinking that he was out to get them. It was a, it was a plan. Yosef had a plan. It was a strategy. And the brothers, they were very scared of Yosef. And they were, they were also ready to uh, kill Yosef again. They, wanted to, they were ready to kill him. One more step and they would have attacked him. The brothers were very mighty people. One more step. And... They were completely off balance. You know, Yosef was trapping them, putting the goblet in the in the in the in, the, in, the, in their uh, baskets along with the money, and he actually put uh, Shimon in jail, and he uh, did a lot of things that uh, put the fear of of him in the brothers, and they were they were completely off balance. Now, but we, we should never get the wrong uh, impression that Yosef was a mean guy, or he was cruel, or he was f- full of his own power. You have to know Yosef was. Was a tzaddik gamur, and he was kind. It was only, he was only, uh, it was all part of his plan. Yosef had a plan, and his plan was to fulfill the prophetic dreams and bring the Bnei Israel to Egypt. Because a prophet wants to fulfill his his prophecy, and he wants to bring him down to Egypt. And that all this was part of the plan to bring him down in a in a way of kavod, bring the family down from Canaan, bring him down to Egypt, not in chains. They're going to come down to Egypt either way. That's part of Hashem's plan. 210 years they're going to serve in Egypt. It's supposed to be 400, but it was cut to 210 because that was part of the refinement process in order to refine the Bnei Yisrael to get the Torah on Har Sinai. Now, now, Yosef was doing all this here. He was planning ahead. What was he putting them, uh, he was making them very, he didn't just come out and say, I'm your, I'm your brother Yosef because then they would have, uh, hey, our brother, our pal, you know, the old, our youngest brother, Maybe they wouldn't have been so fast to listen to him. But Yosef was putting the fear in them, so they'll listen to him. Why? Because he had a great kindliness for them, a great plan. And Yosef was planning for the survival of the Jewish people not to assimilate him in time. That was the big plan, not to assimilate. Assimilation is the worst thing in the world. Assimilation for a Jew is worse than death, worse than death. So, so in fact, there's a great rabbi in Al-Gemara, when he reads in the Tochecha, the Jewish people are going to be mixed up in the Goyim. You know, in the Tochecha, they have terrible curses there, all kinds of the worst curses in the world. The worst, like the Holocaust. But when it came to that verse that the Jewish people are going to be lost amongst the Goyim, then that rabbi, the Tana, started to cry. He was crying because he knew that, you know, he, 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 he knew that that is the worst thing that could happen to a Jew, to be lost amongst the Goyim and to, be, to lose his identity, to lose his religion, loses emunah, to lose his connection with Hashem. If a person was just murdered or tortured or killed, shalom, he didn't lose that. But a person that goes ahead and marry Goya, those things like that, that's assimilation. And loses his uh, ideology, his uh, Torah ideas, loses connection to the rabbi, to Chachamim, to the ideas of the Chachamim. This is the worst thing in the world. So Yosef was planning to, to, to be able to, um, to uh, keep that amongst the family. Um, so, so one of the stratagems he has was to get a, their own land, and he did. He got Goshen. He was able to have Paro to give us our own land, a place to live, and he gave it to us. It is Goshen. The Jews, Jewish people, had a, a exclusive to this Eretz Goshen, so so they wouldn't be mixing with the uh, Goyim. Now we know another plan that Joseph had. Joseph had is he told 
the brothers when he meet when they meet with Paro, Paro's gonna ask him, What do you do? What what is your job? What do you how do you work? So Paro had a sinister Paro was a genius and he had a sinister idea. He had an idea, not a sinister idea, but he had a, a correct idea, I guess, that he knew Yosef Sadiq was the source of all the blessing that he had and that Mitzrayim had. Actually, Yosef Sadiq saved Mitzrayim. And Yosef Sadiq had plans where he brought Paro to own all of the land in Mitzrayim and all of the animals in Mitzrayim and even all the people. They were they were they became slaves to 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 Paro because they had no food. They had nothing else to sell. And Yosef was able to engineer this plan that gave Paro everything everything in Egypt, which means in Egypt means like the whole world. So Yosef had many many stratagems over here. His strategy was to keep the Jews separate. So he told the brothers, look, when you go interview, Paro's going to want to meet you. Because he's thinking that if I have one Yosef, look how much great this land is getting, look how much money I'm getting. But if I had 10 more like Yosef, how much more am I going to be getting? The brothers, they must be like they must be like Yosef too, must have that kind of wisdom. So Paro asked them, what is your vocation? What do you do? So Yosef told him, when he asks you that question, just tell him we're shepherds. And and we 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 tend we tend sheep. We're shepherds, our father was a shepherd, our grandfather was a shepherd, and this is going to turn Paro off completely. And that's what happened. Paro, when he heard they were shepherds, he was disgusted because Paro, what do they do? They're the shepherd, the sheep is the god of the Egyptians. And the Jews, they eat sheep, they tend sheep, they eat sheep. So Paro, when they told Paro we're shepherds, Paro was uh, was disgusted and would not certainly not incorporate them into the government, and he didn't. And that was Yosef's plan, and he was successful in his plan. So, um, so these were some of the plans that uh, Yosef had in order to for the survival of the Jewish people. Also, additionally, we know Yaakov Avinu sent Yehuda down to Egypt, the head of the family, to do what? To prepare. By establishing a yeshiva, of course, of course, without a yeshiva, you have nothing. You could have all the centers you want, all the institutions, all the JCHs. Without a yeshiva, nothing survives without a yeshiva, and that's been seen throughout our uh, even our recent history. When they didn't build yeshivot, nothing was left after a couple of generations of uh, of uh, secular Jews are finished. And our own community, we know that yeshiva Magen David which was uh, built by uh, uh, Mr. Rabbi Isaac Shalom and other great men. That was the uh, cornerstone. That was, the, um, that was our hold on the, the uh, Judaism that we have in our community. Because without yeshiva, they have nothing. And from that yeshiva, we have so many yeshivot which had sprouted forth, especially in our community, as a result of yeshivat Magen David. Now, Again, even with all, all of these precautions that Yosef took and Yaakov took, all of those precautions, still only one-fifth of the Jews went out of Mitzrayim. One-fifth. The Hamushim. Only one-fifth went out of Mitzrayim. Now, now, question is, is it any surprise that in America we have such assimilation when we didn't have these preparations? We, so we didn't have those kinds of preparations. In, in America, you have uh, maybe, I don't know, 80 90% uh, whatever it is, something like a to ninety uh, percent assimilation in America, intermarriage that's going on, and they had pre- and they had preparation over there. So, so we see how how difficult it is 
to uh, stay away from this assimilation in uh, in general. Now, Yosef, Yosef is preparing to reveal himself to the brothers. And what does he do? Actually, he has all the brothers in a room, as you know, and he uh, puts each one in its own uh, place, the oldest now, all the way down to the youngest. And the brothers are getting an inkling that something's up, that Yosef is, uh, they don't know it's Yosef still, but they can't figure it out how this, this man was able to know who's older, who's younger. That's how we sat in our, old, in our father's house. So he's, he's still preparing, and he's ready to prepare them in the antechamber. But he, over there, Yosef has secret service, all his bodyguards, like any president would have or any king might have, secret service with watching out for his, for his, uh, for his benefit, for his survival, for his protection. So, so Yosef then does something very dangerous, very, very dangerous. He tells the guards to leave the room. Wow. Yosef risks his life because these are the same brothers that, that uh, 27 years earlier 22 years early, excuse me, they threw him in the pit and ended up selling him to Egypt. They, they really, they, they wanted to kill him. Now, now the, these same brothers could, once he reveals himself to the brothers, they could uh, certainly uh, kill him very easily. But Yosef, still, he has other ideas, other factors in his mind that he's not going to, that he's going to... Uh, let the Egyptian guards leave the room. And one of the factors is, the Gemara tells us, that a person should be prepared to get thrown into a fire, thrown into a furnace, rather than embarrass his friend. Now we know that if, the, if Yosef revealed himself, even in front of these Goyim, these Egyptians, that he, was, uh, that he was Yosef, it would have been a big embarrassment for the brothers, because the brothers were the ones that sold him down the drain, sold him down the river. And Yosef didn't want the brothers to be embarrassed, even in front of these Egyptians. And he would rather put himself in danger, which he did, and then have the brothers embarrassed, even in front of these, uh, even in front of the Egyptians. And and he learned this lesson very beautifully. For example, when Rachel and Leah, Rachel was the oldest. Rachel, sorry, was the younger, and Leah was the oldest. And and uh, Rachel was supposed to marry. Uh, Yaakov and Leah would be marrying Esau because he was older, and uh, and Yaakov gave Rachel signs. Actually, he didn't trust uh, Lavan. He knew Lavan was a evil person, a sneaky fellow. So he gave Rachel certain signs, code. Gave him the code, and 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 when the time would come, Rachel would tell Yaakov the code, who she is, and then that would uh, substantiate that she is Rachel, and he would uh, go through the marriage. Now, ended out, Rachel had Rachmanut. She had love and mercy for her sister. She didn't want her sister to be embarrassed, Leah. So she gave Leah the code, and at, 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 at the risk of her own of her own self, because she's going to lose out in getting her, uh, her rightful husband. Of course, at the end, she didn't lose out, because uh, Yaakov married two, married both sisters. But Rachel, rather than have Leah be embarrassed, she gave over her life, basically, to her sister. We also have another, another example that I'm sure Yosef g- gathered from, the story of Yehuda Tamar. Tamar 
was rather would, was was they're going to burn her at the stake because she was thought to have she was pregnant and she was thought to have a baby while she was uh, still a year by mile. She was supposed to marry an, uh, the the brother of her husband that passed away, but but now Tamar had the signs. Yehuda was actually the father, and he was he was uh, worthy of having that baby. He was the father of this baby, and he gave over signs of the uh, staff and the ring to Tamar, and Tamar was ready. To, they, they 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 lit up the fire. They were ready to burn her, and all she had to do was say, "It's not me. I'm not. I didn't have a illicit uh, relations. The one that owns the staff and the ring." That's the father of the baby, but she wouldn't do it. She didn't do it because she didn't want to embarrass Yehuda. And therefore, therefore, we're learning over here, she was ready to throw herself in the fire rather than embarrass Yehuda. So Yosef learned the lessons from here not to embarrass anybody. Another reason that Yosef had the Egyptian guards leave was because the... Uh, was because the Ramban, Ramban says that the Egyptians would take revenge against the brothers for having harming Yosef. These these guards were very loyal to Yosef. And when they heard the story that these brothers would throw him in the pit and sold him to Egypt, they would have recourse to taking revenge against the brothers because of their allegiance to Yosef. And therefore, Yosef didn't want this to happen, so he had the guards leave the room, not hear the story, and not be in that position. Now, another big reason why Yosef had the Egyptian guards let leave the room, and we'll tell you how the rabbi uh, describes it here. He says like this. He says, In the Gemara Berachot, we learned about the Mishmad. The Mishmad is the, is the Kohanim, which composed of the Kohanim, assigned to do the Abodan, the Beit Midash. It was a different family every week. One family left, one family came in, each tour of duty beginning on Shabbat and ending following Shabbat. As one regiment of Kwanim was leaving the Beit HaMittash, the next family was entering. As their paths crossed, paths crossed, the group that was leaving confirmed upon the brothers who was entering this Beracha. They told him, He who causes his name to rest in this house, Hashem, he should cause to dwell, to dwell amongst you love, brotherhood, peace, and friendship. You hear with that? They they wished on them a tremendous beracha that Hashem should give them love, brotherhood, peace, and friendship. Now, you would not expect that to be a, the the beracha. You might expect that you should do the avodah correctly. You should do it l'shem shamayim, but that there should be peace and love. Hence, it is evident that the highest form of avodah to Hashem is that there should be peace among those who serve Hashem. And the rabbi goes further. He goes, you know, landlords. It gives an example. Landlords should get along with their tenants. Tenants with their landlords. They should get along with their neighbors. A husband should get along with his wife. Because we learn in the Gemara, a man and his wife is merit between them. When Hashem's, and Hashem's presence is between them. When? When there's peace. That's the difference in the word Esh, Ish, and Isha. Are the, are the Yud and the He. Which means Hashem's name. When you have Hashem's name between them, there's peace. When a man and a wife are dwelling in Shalom, Hashem is among them. And when there's chas v'shalom, the opposite, it's like the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. So over here, we're saying that that when the when the when the brothers when when Yosef revealed himself to the brothers, there was an there was a explosion of love between the brothers and Yosef. It was like vayichan, 
כאיש אחד בלב אחד. ומיוען הר סיני ויחן, דון זה ויחנו, אז ויחן, זה אינקמפט. וואו, כאיש אחד, like one person, לב אחד, with one love, with one mind, they were all together. And that one love and one mind was what brought down the Shekhinah from Shemaim. They brought it down because they had that love, Achtut, and Ahava, uh, between the, the Am Yisrael. So same thing over here, when, they were, when the brothers were in that chamber with Yosef, and Yosef revealed himself, and there was an explosion of love, that brought down the Shekhinah. That love was a, was a Shekhinah that... very, very close to the love again, brought down the Shekhinah in that room together, and we have to know that there's a cloud that Gentiles are not allowed in the Beit HaMittash. Goyim are not allowed in the Beit HaMittash, but they're not allowed to be next to the Shekhinah. So over here, we've also established that the Shekhinah descend, descends on cloud Israel when they dwell together as brothers. Therefore, Yosef had to command the Mitzrayim to clear the room Because when he would reveal himself to the brothers, they'd fall into each other's other arms crying in love. The Shekhinah would envelop them, and hence no Goyim were allowed with them. Hashem desires that Jews dwell together in peace. For that's where His Shekhinah dwells. Achdut is where Hashem expects us, what Hashem expects us to accomplish. Now, and now the story comes to a uh, crescendo. As Yosef, with his fam- as Yosef will finally reveal himself to his brothers after 22 years of being sold as a slave. And he says the fearsome words, Now, Ani Yosef. Now, the rabbi writes that this week is the most fearful statement in the entire Torah. I'll say it again. In this week's parasha is the most fearful statement in the entire Torah. This verse fills every thinking man with apprehension, nervousness. fear, as the Torah says, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef. At that moment, the brothers were stunned. Lo yecholim na'anototo. They were stunned. They were flabbergasted. They were terrified. His brothers were not able to answer him because they were flabbergasted before him. They were terrified. Not only because they now realized that the boy they had sold into slavery was the leader of Egypt, but they were also beside themselves. For now, it was revealed to them they had been wrong They were deceived their whole life. They were wrong about everything. They were wrong about Yosef. They already had decided. And they thought they were justified that Yosef was a Navi Sheker, that he's making these uh, claims, that he's saying that the, that the sun, moon, and stars are going to come bow down to him, and the stalks of wheat are going to come bow down, the brothers and the father are going to come bow down to him. And they also looked like Yosef was trying to usurp the, 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 the throne, so to speak, from the brothers. He was the youngest. And it looked like Yosef was say, telling lies about the brothers to, to their father. So it looked like all, these are all things that they saw openly. So it says over here, it revealed to them that they had been wrong. Now one thing they didn't think, they didn't think they were jealous of Yosef. Because every single, Rosh, every single Yom Kippur that went by, the rabbi would say, we say, Ashamnu, Baganu, I did this, I was jealous, I was mean, or whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm admitting my sins. But not once... In the 22 years, did the brothers look in the mirror and say, I was jealous of my brother because they didn't think they were. It was too deep. It was deep-seated. They didn't admit to it. They felt they were justified in everything that they did. They didn't admit to their jealousy. However, the Torah tells us, Way in the beginning, Hashem is, is, is revealing, He's showing us 
that the real reason, the motivating factor is Kinah over here. Was it jealousy that uh, the brothers had, that uh, the father was favoring them, and uh, they would they would just had some kind of a deep-seated jealousy, which they wouldn't admit to it. Brothers weren't, uh, they were people of perfection. Not people that were subject to, say, jealousy, petty jealousy. But over here, finally, it came out when the day came and Joseph revealed himself, all the truth was 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 to come out. And then Abiyad Azad would cry when he had reached his verse. And he would say, if such a rebuke is possible from a person of flesh and blood from Yosef, how much more so would be the rebuke from HaKadosh Baruch Hu after 120 years? On the Day of Judgment, we'll discover that we also deceived ourselves. Everyone is deceived about themselves. On the Great Day of Judgment, the truth will be revealed before our horrified eyes, and we will, ha- we will not have the tongue to answer. All our lives, we, we feel, well, I feel this way because he did that to me, she did that to me, this guy did this to me. I'm justified in feeling the way I, I feel. I, I was brought up a certain way. It's not my fault. I'm justified. I didn't. Now, all those excuses, all those edifices that we build up in our mind are going to fall by the wayside. When Hashem's in front of us, and after 120 years, he's going to say, I am Hashem, all those, all those uh, lies, so to speak, that we built up in our mind, justifications, are, are not going to hold weight. Just like over here, they know it. So what are we going to do? The brothers felt they were entirely justified. Joseph was an Avi Sheker. He was a false prophet. He spoke Lashon Ara. He had dreams of overthrowing the family, that everyone should bow down to him. However, now at this moment, they were left naked with the truth that all of their judgments of him were colored with jealousy. The upstart younger brother strutted around wearing the new suit his father gave him, causing them to be jealous of him. Ketonet Pasim they had. He had. The Rambam says in Morene Bukhim that the lessons in the Torah are more than just the stories they portray, more than just a history lesson, but they are meant for us to apply to our personal lives. Therefore, the story of Yosef and his brothers is to tell us that we're deceiving ourselves. We're all deceiving. Everybody's deceiving themselves. Shalom Mesh. King, Sa- King Shaul concerning his war with Amalek to Sh- told Shemuel the Navi, quote, I fulfill the word of Hashem. However, Hashem knew the truth. He has not fulfilled my words. Shaul was completely fooled about himself. Didn't he leave uh, the sheep alive? Didn't he leave the king of Amalek alive? And yet he's, with, with a straight face, he said, I fulfilled the word of Hashem. Every, the Mishlah, tell, Mishlah tells us a key pasuk. It says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But everyone is full of character flaws. And if one finds out about them on the Day of Judgment, it's just too late for him. It's too late. Now, the best way for you to find out about yourself is to go to a Chacham and ask him, what's wrong with you? Ask him, what's wrong with you? Good time, let's say, before Rosh Hashanah. You want to correct yourself. You go to the rabbi. You go to your rabbi. You should have a rabbi to go to. A rabbi that you trust. A rabbi that knows you. A rabbi that when you ask him, He's not afraid to tell you. Because, you know, most rabbis, even the big ones, they're, they're afraid to tell you because they, they don't want to lose any customers. They want you to continue to come to their shul. And rabbi Miller would say, you know, go to your rabbi to before Rosh Hashanah or any time to ask them, uh, you know, some correction, some musar. And then he would say, but don't come to me because I want you to keep coming to my shul over here. One time he told a little short story. He said there was a guy in his shul about the, uh, you know, closing in on 50 years old, and he was not married. So 
The rabbi went over to him and told him, No, Jack, maybe it's time to get married. And you know what happened? This guy never came back to his shul again. Couldn't even accept that kind of a musa, that kind of a book, that kind of instruction. People don't take to getting instruction from anybody. So we have to try to have a, a, a you know, have an attitude that I want, I want instruction and try to go to your rabbi to get it if he'll give it to you. And, um, however, the rabbi says, of course, you won't do that because if he, after he tells you, that'll be the last time he'll see you. The only resort, what's the resort to do, is to learn. Learn Musar. Rabbi says, if you learn Musar, but of course there's a way to learn it. If you learn Musar, then you'll be able to learn more about yourself, what makes yourself tick, what's the motivating factor in you, what's motivating you. Learn the Agadita of the Gemara and learn it in depth. There's a whole derech in learning the Agadita, the stories of the Gemara. Or go to shuls which speak on character improvement. Like the Rabbi Miller shul, that's what he spoke about. He go to shuls like that. A person, he, he have another kind of guy. He he, he prays Vatikin early, very good. He's so proud of himself. He's finished earlier than anybody else. He believes he's more religious than anybody. That when he prays early, there's no one there to tell him anything about himself. Therefore, it's extremely easy to delude yourself. When there was a young man, who Rabbi's talking. Who I, I made a uh, a shiduch for, a match for that man. I found out that he had taken the girl into his apartment. I chased him out of my shul, saying, "Don't come back here until you're married." A little while later, a while later, upon entering a certain yeshiva, the rabbi said, "I saw the same young man sitting up front, an important figure. He's deceived about himself because there's no one there to tell him of the truth about himself. If he stayed in my shul, he would have found out." but he agreed to leave. Everyone is deceived about his own character flaws and they need instruction before it's too late for them. Every divorced couple has the same story. He believes she's evil and she claims he's, he's, he's a rasha. Probably both of them are right. Now the rabbi even said in, in another place that uh, even, him, even he himself, the rabbi himself, also said that he himself was also deceived about his own character flaws. However, he did say that after six years in Slabatka Yeshiva, spent six years in, in, in Europe, Slabatka is living from, from learning, of, I don't know, 12 hours a day or something like that, learning all the Musa Sefarim with the greatest of the greats, sort of Isaac Sher, of Avram Godzinski, and others, he was able to, to uh, learn more about himself and to fish out a lot of this deception that, that people deceive themselves with. He was able to see things a little bit more clearly. There were two men who took $500 and gave it to a Mikubal, and he gave them a blessed stone. $500, they get a rhinestone, which was made in a lady's jewelry shop for a couple of dollars, and a beracha. They're amarat, they're amaretz, they're behemot. It would have been better if they went to a yeshiva, gave a dollar, and asked the Rosh Yeshiva to pray for them. He certainly would pray for you. You won't even have to give him the dollar. If you gave them $500, they would love you at the yeshiva. That's what the Gemara says. If you are ill, go to Hacham to meet Palel for you. How deceived they are about themselves. There are other people who like to give advice. What right do you have to give advice? Did you read Chobot and Vavot from cover to cover many times? Did you read Sha'aret Teshuvah many times from cover to cover? Did you learn from Mesilai Yesharim from cover to cover? Did you learn Rav Sa'aja Gaon about the Rambam, Hilchot Teshuvah, Hilchot Teot, Hilchot Yisudah Did you learn the Kuzari? 
If you haven't, what right do you have to give people advice? You're deceiving yourself if you think you're capable of giving advice. You know, many uh, business people, they think they're capable of giving advice. In fact, I don't know, in the old days, maybe not so old, people when people had problems, even in marriage, or, you know, forget about business problems. That You can go to a business person. But if they had certain problems, they go to a very rich man, feeling that the rich man had wisdom to give them advice for their problems. The rich man, we're talking about a rich man that has no Torah, just because he makes a lot of money. And he certainly wasn't the right man to go to for these problems. Here's another man. The thing is that he says every single word in the Siddur from cover to cover. That's about it. He makes sure he doesn't miss a word. You won't learn about the Siddur by saying every, every word in the Siddur. You only learn about the Siddur if you go to someone who will teach you about the Siddur. Only by going to a Chacham, by asking him what is wrong with you, only by learning can a person find out about himself. We're all deceived about ourselves. That's the first premise, by the way. We should know that we're all deceived about ourselves. You look in the mirror and you think you know who you are. You should know that you don't know who you are, that you're deceived about yourself. You have to learn. We're filled with flaws. And only by learning can a person rescue himself before Yom Haddin. Only by learning can a person make his life a success. Now the rabbi brings a tremendous idea in, the, in our parashah and he says that, you know, Yosef, when he revealed himself to the brothers, he said he raised his voice in weeping. So the rabbi asked the question, why did Yosef cry and the brothers didn't cry? So he says, Yosef wept. He said, we will all, the Midrash Rabbah says, Yosef wept, so we also weep when we turn to Hashem after Galut. So he, he didn't weep, Yosef didn't weep out of remorse or Teshubah, but because of lost opportunity. All the years he lost by not being in his father's house and learning from Yaakov Avinu. That's a reason to cry. When you have opportunities in life and you lost those opportunities, it's like water, a river that's flowing and you don't grab something and it flows right by you. You can't get it back again. It flows. It's, a, it's something that's a, a, that you can't fix. It's a, a, a crooked stick, a crooked bar. You can't make it straight again. So... You have to grasp the opportunities when you have them. Opportunities in life, that's all we have are these opportunities. And Hashem brings good opportunities to good people because He knows that you're going to do something with those opportunities. So these years that He lost by not being in His Father's house and learning from Yaakov Avinu was reason for Him to cry. The brothers didn't cry because they were with their father. They were able to learn. I'm sure they did. They learned all the time from their father, Yaakov Avinu. When we lose an opportunity to learn Torah or perform vote, it can never be made up. Never. Whereas, when a person should commit a sin, there are prescribed remedies for sins such as Teshubah, Yom Kippur, Mechaper, and uh, depending on the, on the depth of the sin, you have Yesurim, uh, Mechaper, you can have Mitah, Mechaperet, and you have even Gehinam, will be Mechaper. The rabbi once told me that if a person, if a person made, made a sin, made a sin, Shalom, and he didn't make Teshubah. So, how's he going to come upstairs? They're going to he'll go to Gehinam and they're going to burn it out of him. He goes, that's going to hurt. He says, it's going to hurt like H-E-L-L. But eventually, he'll come up. He'll come up clean. He'll come up a little skinny. A little skinny, a little clean. But he'll go, he'll go to Olam Abba. He'll be able to come up and enjoy the Ziba Shekhinah. But a person that didn't do any Mizvot, any Mizvot, he didn't put Siddhaka on the bus. He didn't put Tefillin on his arm. He didn't... Uh, learn Torah, they cannot do anything for him. They can't clean him up. They can't help him. 
They can't do any mizvot when a person passes away. That's the time it's over. You cannot do mizvot, do ma'asim tovim when, you, when a person passes away. That's why, therefore, it's saying over here that the worst kind of worst kind of sin is to miss. It's called a chet. Chet means to miss, to miss out. And it brings a pasuk from the uh, Nebi'im. They said one could, each one could sling a stone and not miss. Lo in the Shoftim. The sin of not accomplishing in this lifetime is the most terrible, since one cannot make up, you cannot make up for mizvot which you didn't perform with them when they had the opportunity. The reward for doing a mizvah is forever. You do a mizvah, anything you do, they can't pay you in this world. They pay you forever. Any, any mizvah, tefillin, you help a person, you do chesed, you give tzedakah. This is reward that's forever because it's, 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 it's divine. Divine, you're doing a mizvah given by Kadosh Baruch Hu. And the punishment, as we said, for most sins is limited. Therefore, our great purpose in life is to thank Hashem for the opportunities He gives us by bestowing on us the gift of life each day. The gift of life each day is an opportunity to no end. And we thank Hashem for those opportunities and we have to make some use of those opportunities. We take full advantage by picking up as many diamonds. It's what are diamonds. We pick up diamonds which are available only at this time when you're alive. Those diamonds, you can only pick them up. For the past 22 years, Yosef could not learn from his great father. Therefore, he missed out eternally, and therefore he cried. He, he was regret. And we have to know, the Messiah Shem tells us, when you have a mitzvah in front of you, and sakana ke sakanato. The biggest danger a person is in when he has a mitzvah to do in front of him. He can go honor his mother and father. He can go home and help his father whatever he wants him to do or help his mother. He has a mitzvah of Tamut uh, Torah in front of him. He has the time to go learn with Chabruta at uh, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, whatever the time is. He has that set. He has a mitzvah standing in front of him to do it. That He is in the greatest danger because that's when the Yetzirah pop, pops up and tries to block him because the Yetzirah wants to kill a person. And the best way to kill a person is to have him not accomplish not accomplishing is tantamount to death. So so we have to see that our great purpose is doing mitzvot, which are payable forever. And and when we have a mitzvah in front of us, we have to know it's a, that's why you have to be zerizim makdimim la mitzvot. You have to be energetic to do mitzvot. You have to be alacrity. You have to have alacrity and energy to do mitzvot because you want to preempt the Yetzirah was trying to choke you, trying to kill you, trying to stop you, from growing, from getting, from enjoying this world and the next world with those mitzvot. And that's what we're learning over here from Yosef HaTzadik, that he cried. He cried because he missed out. He missed out of learning with his father. Of course, he was learning with his children, but the learning getting from Yitzhak, from, from the Gadol Aulam, Yaakov Avinu, is greater, greatest. Now Yosef is preparing to meet his father. And the Torah tells us that he personally readied his horse and chariot. He 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 put it on himself. And this is a, a, a king. As a king, he normally would have a servant do this for him. However, the mitzvah has was so dear to him. This mitzvah to go greet his father was so dear to him. He had to do it by himself. We're learning that a mitzvah, when accompanied by enthusiasm, that's the key. Enthusiasm. 
is superior. And mitzvot are actually creations. Mitzvah Every mitzvah, you're creating a a a, a creation a, uh, that will that will stand for you in the world to come and in this world too. It's a it, it's going to a protector, and 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 this when you do it with enthusiasm, it's even greater. So the Hazal tell us that this was the zechut of this mitzvah done by Yosef with extra enthusiasm. That was our zechut to Hashem performing tremendous miracle of Kiryat Shamsuf, which inspired Bnei Israel to accept to accept the Torah. We have already seen the principle. New idea is like this: of kindliness is the preface to greatness. We've seen we've seen this principle over and over. Yosef with the Sada Mashkim, the Sada Ofim, he was kind, and it became Moshe Rabbeinu when he was kind to go out and see his people. Kindliness, Chesed. Preface to greatness. Now, it even goes so far that Paro, who welcomed, he welcomed B'nai Israel and he gave us, he offered them hospitality and land. It is Goshen. And B'nai Israel, Paro, he said, Suba, Yerbu, Bimor, Meor, and we multiplied in his land. And he didn't uh, uh, throw us out like the uh, Spaniards did, or the English did, or the French did, or many other of these, the Shaim did, threw us out of their lands, or tried to, or the Nazis did, Hasbe Shalom. He didn't do that. He let us stay in the land. And this was never forgotten by Hashem, despite what the, that the Egyptians subsequently did to Bnei Israel. You know, they threw the babies in the river. They threw, they threw people in the wall. They killed a lot of Jews. However, they still had a zechut of being, having, showing a kindliness of letting us settle in their land. Torah says you should not reject an Egyptian because you were a sojourner in his land. Even up to three generations, after three generations, you can marry an Egyptian. But the, the Moabim and the, uh, in the case of the Moabim and the um, and the other gener- the other uh, the Moab, and that they did not, they were ingratitude. They did not show gratitude. They didn't come and give Jewish people water. They we cannot marry into their. They cannot marry into our nation. But the over here with the Egyptians, that there was a gratitude factor, that that we were allowed to marry after three generations, and as a reward for this hospitality, Egypt was given the opportunity. Let's to recognize Ladat. They were given to Ladat to recognize how in the ten plagues they were able to recognize Ladat. Therefore, the gain are and therefore there came forth a class of Egyptians that feared the word of Hashem. And what class was that? The great Erev Rav became part of Israel. They were able to, they were able to even stand on Har Sinai, and they converted. They were converted as Erev Rav. The doing of kindness is a prelude for greatness. For Hashem especially favors such persons, and we should always take this lesson, lesson of kindliness. Kindliness is the preface for greatness. So, if you want to be a great, great person, and who doesn't want to become great, we should exhibit extreme kindliness for our brothers and sisters, Jewish people. In our, in our families, in our communities, and all the Jews all over the world, by supporting them, by, by putting our arms around them, by showing our, our love for them and, our, and, 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 and encouragement to them, this will be a big zechut for us and show us and show Hashem how we feel about our brothers, the Jewish people, and it will show Hashem that we're kind people. Rachmanim, Baishanim, 
Gomle Hasadim, those are the traits of the Jew. You have to be Rachmanim, Gomle Hasadim, that the world stands on three things, and one of them is kindliness, and it's a preface to greatness. You can't be a great person if you're not kind. So have a great day.